You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 25. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning to all of you at home, and a warm welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. Now, I also want to extend a hearty congratulations to all those who have completed the Chapter a Day Challenge. Well done, and your prizes are on the way. Now, for those of you who may not have completed the challenge, uh, well, there's no need to feel sad or to feel inferior, all right? You know, maybe over the past year, you got to read more of the Bible than in the past years before. Now, maybe over the past year, you read parts of the Bible that you've never read before. Maybe over the past year, you experienced reading the Bible in community and not just on your own, and this for the first time. Now, whatever it may be, many of you have still accomplished so much through your Bible reading in 2020. And for that, I also want to congratulate you. Let's continue, people, to press on in reading the Bible as a community. It's a fresh year, so it's also a fresh start. So do feel free to jump straight into the readings uh, for year two, all right? Now for today's sermon. Well, over the past two Sundays, uh, we've been looking at how we can position ourselves in 2021 to grow deep and to go far, uh, both individually and as a church family. We looked at the importance of the Word of God, and last week, Pastor 2 led us to look at the importance of community. This morning, I want to encourage us to press on in the Christian ordinaries. Now, what is this 
Christian ordinaries, right? Now, some of you who are newer to our church, you might have never heard of that phrase before. Well, in a nutshell, the Christian ordinaries refers to the spiritual disciplines uh, such as Bible reading, uh, daily prayer, going to church, tithing, serving, confessing sin, and so on. Now, these Christian ordinaries, they are daily things. Uh, they are often unspectacular things, and they're just ordinary. Right? But the thing is, when it comes to ordinary things, we don't do so well. We get tired quickly, we get restless, we get bored, and after a while we wonder, what's the point of doing all this? And social media, I mean, social media teaches us that life should be amazing, colourful, vibrant, exciting. But for us, sometimes it feels like living the Christian life, pressing on in the Christian ordinaries, is only as exciting as watching grass grow. I mean, it just goes on and on. And every day is reading another passage of scripture, it's praying another prayer, it's helping another person, it's serving another time at church, it's confessing another sin, and so on and so on. And eventually, we, we lose our motivation. We start to put aside our Bibles, we start to neglect daily prayer, we give up on regularly going to church. And so the truth is, we all need fresh encouragement to press on in the Christian life. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to encourage you to press on in the Christian ordinaries by showing you three truths about the regular, ordinary Christian life. And these three truths are the Christian life is fruitful, the Christian life is sincere, and the Christian life is the life of faith. So let's look at our passage today and let's talk about truth number one, the Christian life is fruitful. So our passage today begins with Jesus traveling to the temple with his disciples. And we are told very specifically that Jesus is hungry. And as Jesus looks for something to eat, a fig tree catches his eye. Now this fig tree was a very vibrant, very healthy looking tree. It was in leaf meaning to say that it, the tree was covered in big, thick, green leaves. And usually that was a sign that you might also find fat, delicious, uh, juicy figs on that tree. But Jesus, when he came to the fig tree, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, How disappointing that must have been for Jesus. So what does he do? Does he look for another tree? Does he command fruit to, go, to grow from this tree? No. Jesus curses the tree. Jesus says, fig tree, may, you, may your fruit never again be enjoyed. And so Jesus condemns that tree to barrenness. Now this is bizarre for us. Why would Jesus do this? How can Jesus do this? I mean, the Bible itself tells us that it was not the season for figs. And so it's not the tree's fault that there was no fruit. How could Jesus react this way and curse this innocent tree? Now you must realize that Jesus isn't just some random uh, hungry guy coming up to a random fig tree. Jesus is a man of authority. Now some of you, your parents might require you to do chores on certain days. right? Perhaps you are supposed to wash the toilets on Saturdays. Now imagine 
your mom comes up to you on Tuesday and tells you, you know what, the toilets are filthy. I want you to clean them now. Now, do you respond to your mom and say, well, too bad. It's not a Saturday, right? This is not the season for washing toilets. So mom, you can go and wash the toilet yourself, right? No, you still have to go and wash it. Now, why? Because you are under your parents' authority. Similarly, if your boss asks you to work on the weekend, you can't say, sorry boss, uh, it's actually my relaxation time. This is not the season for work. No, you still have to submit your boss and go do it. In the same way, Jesus stands before this tree with authority. Now look with me to another instance when Jesus got hungry. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter, this is Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You see, Jesus had all authority over all things. He is the Son of God. If Jesus wanted, even the rocks would become food for him. And so this is not a random fig tree, no. This is a fig tree that Jesus had created to serve him and to serve his purposes. But by withholding its fruit from Jesus, this tree had committed an act of rebellion and treason. It's just like the kid who, who refuses to wash the toilet. That child is disobeying his parents. Uh, just like the employee who refuses to do the assigned work. That employee is defying her boss. And in the same way, this fruitless tree would now have to face the consequences. But you see people, you and I, we are just like the fig tree. We are under the authority of Jesus and Jesus expects fruitfulness from us. Now the fig tree might have only had you know, one or two seasons each year uh, where it would bear fruit. But you and I, we are meant to bear fruit in all seasons, year in and year out. I mean, as a pastor, I am specifically called to preach the word and to be ready in season and out of season. I'm called to proclaim the gospel wherever and whenever according to what Jesus, my creator and king, requires of me. In the same way, we are all expected to bear fruit. This is what Jesus expects of us. The ordinary Christian must be fruitful. But in fact, it is the extraordinary Christian. Now that is the one who is fruitless. And that is an unusual, irregular and bizarre Christian life. It would be a strange thing if Jesus returns and comes to us and we have very little to show for our faith. It would be so weird if our lives did not have any fruit worthy of him. And when he stands before us in authority, we cannot be telling him, sorry Jesus, it just wasn't the right season for me. I was too busy. I had no time. I had other priorities. No, the regular, ordinary Christian life is fruitful. Now that is the first truth. Now let's come to the second one. The Christian life is sincere. So after cursing the fig tree, Jesus carries on with his journey and arrives at his destination. And that is the temple in Jerusalem. And as he enters the temple, Jesus goes a bit ballistic. What the text tells us is that Jesus entered the temple and begins to drive out both those who sold 
and those who bought. Now we can imagine why Jesus would want to throw out the merchants who were selling in the temple because the temple was not a place of business. And very likely these merchants were also overcharging and making use of God's holy temple to make a quick buck. But why throw out the buyers? I mean, the buyers were the worshippers. They needed to buy the sacrifices in order to worship God. Yet, if Jesus was to drive them out, then there would be no more sacrifices being offered in the temple. And then these poor worshippers, who were the ones who got ripped off by the merchants, now Jesus wasn't allowing them to offer their overpriced sacrifices to God. Now, in fact, this, the scripture goes on to tell us, Jesus would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Jesus had totally shut down the temple. No selling, no buying, no sacrifices, no worship. Everything had stopped. Now, what's wrong with Jesus? He cursed the tree and now he was violently shutting down the temple. Is Jesus still upset because he's hungry? Is he feeling hangry? Right. When we look at verse 17, well, Jesus explains why he was acting in this way. Jesus was upset because the temple was not what it should be. First, Jesus says, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 56. You see, the purpose of the temple was to be a place for all kinds of people to come and to pray. It was supposed to be a place for people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue to come and seek God. But instead, the temple had become a marketplace. Instead of quiet prayer, there was noisy trade. Instead of a divine exchange happening between God and man, there was now business transactions taking place between buyer and seller. The temple was supposed to be overflowing with seekers from every kind of ethnicity. But now the temple was filled with merchants. In many ways, the temple was just like the fig tree. On the outside, both the fig tree and the temple seem vibrant and exciting. They seem full of life. But when Jesus takes a closer look, he proves and he shows and he sees that they are both fruitless, barren, and they are not what they should be. The temple of God was no longer the house of prayer. Instead, Jesus says to both the merchants and the worshippers, but you have made it, you have made this temple a den of robbers. Now, why would Jesus call the temple a den of robbers? Now, was it because of the daylight robbery that the merchants were committing against the worshippers? No. You see, robbers don't go to their dens to rob people. Robbers go to the highways, they go to the back alleys, they go to dark places and so on to, to do their robbing. But to a robber, the den was a place of refuge. It was their hideout. So Jesus wasn't talking about the daylight robbery that was going on at the temple. Rather, Jesus is saying that the temple had become a hiding place for wicked robbers to feel safe. Now this phrase, den of robbers, is actually taken from Jeremiah chapter 7. At that time, in Jeremiah's day, 
God was speaking to His people who worshipped at His temple. And He said to them, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, the temple, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? So in the time of Jeremiah, God's people had reduced the temple to a den of robbers. And they had done this by making the temple the hideout for their wickedness. Now you see, the people, they spent their days robbing one another. They made false promises to one another. They slept with each other's spouses. They stole from one another. They even murdered one another. And then they also spent their days robbing God. They worshipped other gods and they refused to obey Him. And then they would go to the temple. They would make their sacrifices. And they would believe that they had been forgiven. And the thing is, they had no desire to change. They were not sorry at all. And their repentance was total nonsense. They had made the temple their base of operations for living their sinful lives. They were hypocrites. In public, they worshipped at the temple. But in private, they sinned to their heart's content. So Jesus saw the same hypocrisy. He saw the same insincerity going on at the temple in Mark chapter 11. There was no true worship going on. Buyers, sellers, priests, sinners, everyone was in cahoots. Everyone was working together. They all just wanted to live wicked lives and they were happy just to pretend to be religious on the outside. So the temple is a reminder to us that Jesus is looking for those who are sincere, not hypocrites. This is what Jesus expects of us. The ordinary Christian must be sincere in living out the Christian life. But in fact, it is the extraordinary Christian. Now, he is the one whose hands are busy, but whose heart is far from God. Now, it would be so strange if our Christian lives were only activated on Sundays or only being lived out outside of the, the spheres of our homes and our own personal lives where we become so busy doing all kinds of Christian activities publicly, but yet on our own, there is no authentic, no genuine following after Jesus privately. The regular, ordinary Christian life is sincere. And that is the second truth. Now we come to the third. The Christian life is the life of faith. The next day, Jesus and his disciples came across the same fig tree. And shockingly, this tree that had been so leafy and so healthy looking, it was now shriveled all the way to its roots. And so Peter points at the tree and says to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, look at this. Wow, this is the same tree that you cursed only yesterday. But look at it now. And in response, Jesus looks at Peter and the rest of the disciples and he says, have faith in God. Now, this was the main point that Jesus wanted to drive deep into the heart of his disciples. 
through the cursing of the fig tree, through the uproar at the temple, what Jesus wanted his disciples to understand was that they must have faith. This is the main point we also must take to heart. Why? Because the Christian life is the life of faith. Faith is the essence, the basis, the fundamental uh, uh, grounding of the Christian life. And so let's have a closer look at this faith as Jesus brings us three aspects to faith in God. And we're looking at the last three verses of today's passage. In verse 23, Jesus first explains faith in this way. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now the concept of the mountain being thrown into the sea is a picture of doing the impossible, of accomplishing the impossible. Now other parts of the Bible like Psalm 46 and 1 Corinthians 13, uh, they use the same concept to talk about doing the impossible. But what is unusual is that Jesus doesn't say a mountain or doesn't say the mountain, but he says this mountain. Now Jesus is referring to a particular mountain. And the thing is, Jesus was very near a mountain. It was the mountain on which the temple was situated. And, that, and this mountain was called uh, the Temple Mount. And so when Jesus talks about this mountain being thrown into the sea, he's very likely pointing to the Temple Mount. And this is so scary because Jesus is saying, have faith that God will even destroy the temple. And maybe that's why Jesus threw out both the sellers and the buyers at the temple. Maybe that was why he totally disrupted the running of the temple. Maybe that was why he simply proclaimed that the temple had become a den of thieves, but yet he gave no call for repentance. Maybe that was why when Jesus encountered the fruitless fig tree, he didn't prune it. He didn't try to graft in new fruitful branches, but instead he cursed it. And maybe that is why uh, he made the fig tree wither away to its roots. Because right now the temple of God had become so corrupt, so unholy, so hypocritical that God was not going to improve the temple. He wasn't going to reform the temple, but he was going to destroy it. And sure enough, Less than 50 years after Jesus' death, the temple would indeed be destroyed by the Romans. And until today, that temple has never been rebuilt. And so the temple, this symbol of faith, had now become an obstacle to true faith in God. And so God would remove that obstacle. God would cast this mountain into the sea. And so we get our first aspect of faith from here and it is to trust God to remove obstacles. Now what is the obstacle that you need removed from your life? Is there a hypocrisy in your journey of faith and, and it feels impossible to shake off? Is there a religious legalistic system of self-justification that you just can't seem to break free from? Are you impossibly hooked and addicted to different pleasures in life and you just can't seem to give them up in order to give attention to your Christian life? 
Are there anti-Christian arguments or philosophies that have hardened your heart or hardened the hearts of your loved ones against God? Now, this is what God says to you. Have faith in Him. Do not doubt. Trust the God of the impossible and it will be done for you. Now, let's look at the second aspect of faith, which is to trust God to answer prayer. Now, sometimes when we read that previous verse, verse 23, uh, we have a tendency to look at it as a list of instructions, right? A list of instructions on how to uh, kind of perform Christian magic, right? So, for example, step one, you know, you declare what you want. Step two, you do not doubt. Step three, you believe in your heart. And then sure enough, the magic will be done. But that is not Jesus' intention at all. Jesus isn't trying to teach his disciples how to curse the fig tree or how to, how to perform magic. And Jesus clarifies this in verse 24. He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Jesus was not giving a secret formula to Christian magic. Jesus has been talking about prayer all along. And if you know, uh, if you want to know what Jesus believes about prayer, you only need to turn to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And what Jesus is teaching about prayer here is not meant to contradict what he teaches in the Lord's Prayer. And so you see, the temple, the temple was supposed to be the house of prayer for all the nations, but the temple had failed. It was under God's curse, it was fruitless. Its roots were withering away and it would soon be destroyed. But Jesus, turning to his disciples, what he is doing is that he is now building a new house of prayer. He is now planting a new fig tree. He is telling the disciples, become the new temple. Be rooted in faith. Be defined by prayer and therefore be fruitful. No, the Christian is called to fruitfulness. But the way to fruitfulness is not through more self-effort, more self-discipline, more endurance. The way to fruitfulness is through faith-filled prayer. You know, it was only at our 2016 church camp that we began using this term, Christian ordinaries. And as I mentioned earlier, the Christian ordinaries are meant to refer to various disciplines, daily disciplines, that we need to keep practicing as Christians. But when we were challenged as a church to commit to the Christian ordinaries, do you remember what was the first thing we committed to? We committed to prayer. Now for all of you who went for that camp, you would find this bookmark very familiar. Right, this was the list of 10 things we committed to pray for Agape as we embarked on growing in the Christian ordinaries. Now, as you look through this list, you would realize that we were trusting God for the impossible. We were praying that as we embarked on these Christian ordinaries, that we would become a, a, a remarkable church after God's own heart. And from these prayer pointers, you would realize that we were trusting God to remove obstacles, temptations, idols, laziness, hardness of heart, and so on. And you see, at the heart of the Christian ordinaries, uh, reading the word, daily discipline prayer, 
participating in the Sunday services, serving in church, reaching out to the poor and needy, tithing, being in community and so on, undergirding every effort that goes into any one of these things is faith expressed through prayer. So even if you have lost all momentum in practicing the Christian ordinaries, would you remember that this is an exercise of faith and not an exercise of self-will? And this is always true of the ordinary Christian. But on the other hand, the extraordinary Christian is the one who instead places trust on himself or herself. Now, living the regular, ordinary Christian life will take trusting in God to do the impossible. It will take trusting in God to remove obstacle. And it will, it will require us to trust in God to answer prayer as well. Now we come to the third aspect of faith, and that is to trust God to forgive. Now verse 25 is such a strange verse that Jesus uses to finally conclude his explanation on faith. He says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, if you think about it, do you know what would happen if your Father in heaven refuses to forgive you? According to the Bible, that would mean being cursed by God. Now, why is that? Because if God withholds His forgiveness from you, then His anger is what is left towards you. And so all that remains would be eternal condemnation and death. And this, this is just like the fig tree all over, the, all over again. God is looking at us, expecting to see fruit. And if He doesn't, then His curse will fall upon us. But what is the fruit that He's looking for? What is most desirable for His divine taste buds? No, is it Bible knowledge? Is it uh, serving the poor? Is it tithing? No. What He is looking for is forgiveness. It is regular, quick, and prayerful forgiveness. Now that is the basic fruit that God is looking for. Now why forgiveness? Right? Because, you see, it's easy for us to become like the temple. It's easy to become a group of people who treat one another like buyers and sellers at the temple. Just commercial relationships, right? Just making use of one another to uh, meet our own desires and our own needs. Where everything is business, nothing is personal. And so, at the end of the day, there's no real need to, to forgive anyone. But the key thing that God is looking for in His people is love. He desires that His people would be a house of prayer for all nations. Not just one nation, not just some nations, but for all nations. And that is something that takes and requires love. And the truest evidence of such love is forgiveness. You see, there is no forgiveness without love. Uh, you, forgiving someone, it means humbling yourself. It means forfeiting your right to hold a grudge. It means going out of your way to invest in a, into a relationship with someone who doesn't deserve it. And true forgiveness is as difficult as a tree bearing fruit out of season. 
true forgiveness is as impossible as throwing a mountain into the sea. And for some of us, we would uh, rather go ahead and complete the chapter day challenge than to truly release and forgive someone that has trespassed against us. But forgiveness matters to God because relationship matters to Him. You see, we often live, uh, we often think that we should live the Christian life uh, just for our own good. Where we often pursue the Christian ordinaries uh, primarily for the sake of self-improvement, self-validation, approval of others, uh, to relieve our boredom, to find some kind of purpose and so on and so forth. But to God, the Christian life of faith is to be lived in relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. And God believes in relationship so much. God desires relationship so much that He extended forgiveness to us first. Jesus dwelt among us, full of life, full of fruit. Yet He came under the curse of God. He was put to death. He was withered to His roots. And Jesus was the temple of God. He was the house of prayer for all nations. He led all kinds of people to seek God, yet He was treated as a den of thieves. Under the cover of the night, a sting operation was conducted to apprehend Jesus. The religious and government authorities, they worked together to shut Him down and to destroy Him. And Jesus submitted Himself to be destroyed. It should have been impossible and unthinkable for the Creator and the King to be put to death by His own creation. But Jesus pointed at himself and said, let this mountain be thrown into the sea. And even as he was on the cross, even with his dying breath, Jesus continued to produce, to bear that that fruit of forgiveness that the Father so desired and so delights in. And Jesus cried out on that cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus did all this so that you and I could be brought into relationship with God. So that we could live the regular, ordinary Christian life in relationship with God and with one another. And Jesus did this so that we would become a new tree in Him, bearing much fruit. Where He is the vine and we are the branches. And as we abide in Him, we bear much fruit. And Jesus did this so that he could rebuild a new temple, a new house of prayer for all the nations to come and seek him, where people can come together in faith and bear much fruit. So people, God calls us to the regular, ordinary Christian life. It is daily, many days it is unspectacular, but nevertheless, pursue fruitfulness with sincerity and with faith. Trust your God to remove the obstacles, to answer your prayers, and to love one another by faith. So people, people of God, people of Agape, would you join your hearts with mine? And let's come before the Lord in prayer. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg